I am unashamed. What about you? My, some of my kin folks over from Caddo Parish asked me, did I want a lab? Young dog. And I said, will the dog retrieve a duck? It's full-blooded. Is you know, oh, yeah. Oh, he, he'll retrieve. Said he hadn't been trained, but I've just taken him hunting. Like dummies, sit, stay, kennel, he, he's all good. I said, well, these boys I'm hunting with, my own flesh and blood, have been grappling and complaining for the last decade because Blue, my prize lab, come out of good stock, a little high strung. Was the greatest retriever I ever owned, but he had one flaw, and I will have to admit, it was a big one. He was a whiner. I tried everything known to man for, for a decade to get that dog to just shut up when he's seated in front of me. We're waiting on ducks to come out and start working the plugs. So I never succeeded in shutting him up. He was a whiner. He was born a whiner. Yeah. And, and so I pawned him off and told old Burl, Burley Dane Jennings, out of uh, Colorado, he he duck hunts with us every winter. He just moves in, you know. He retired. He, the, your old yeah. dog basically retired, retired. and moved, moved to Colorado. Retired him. He went to Colorado to live out a nice little life. Old Burrow did it because he thinks he can tell people he's my dog, <laughs> therefore the connection with me, and he might win him a little few bucks, you know, sell, sell some puppies or whatever. He sees so, opportunity here. He sees opportunity. But I think it's... The only good thing about this in the spirit of the resurrection is basically it was it was time to to put off the old self and create a new self. But since you couldn't you couldn't baptize blue, he, he had no concept. That's right. So well the next best thing is you send him a pasture and get another one that looks just like him. But acts differently. One of the reasons, one of the reasons why we're there, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, out there in computer land, one of the reasons that I follow, I believe in a God in heaven, and I believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and I believe in the unseen power of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons I believe in God, Jace, is that when he made animals, and in this in this particular case, dogs, it is amazing how these dogs they understand the English language somewhat. You can say you can train them when you say kennel up, he will get in the kennel. Yeah. When you say load up, you let your float your your tailgate down on a wheeler. You say load up. He knows what load up means. He goes, but you could say mowed up and he would do the same thing. So I said somewhat, because if it just sounds like it, <laughs> he, he will do it. But, but my point is they were put here and they know how to carry out instructions. <laughs> yeah, they really true. do. And yeah. it's pretty interesting. Now I'm just saying that you, you can take people who uh, love horses and around them. They, they, they come up with some amazing things about what they can do with horse. Burley's wife is a cowgirl. She, she goes up in the mountains and she's got a trail of horses and she trains them. She has them bred. She raises them from little coats and all that. She's into horses, but a dog can do some amazing things as far as go getting your ducks. Just think yeah. about it and bring them to you 
to save you the time of walking, getting out of the blind, but going. They were it created with the drive to retrieve the dogs that we have. That's right. They have like my dog. It's innate. My it's- dog Biggin. He he always is thinking, I must retrieve something. Yep. But we only have hunting season three months out of the year. Mm-hmm. So now what he does every morning, he does the same routine. He gets up, he goes and because Willie has a golf course in his yard. So he goes and finds a golf ball and he brings it back. And he doesn't give it to me because I don't want it. And then the rest of the day, he will take the cover <clears throat> off that golf ball. Then at night, when he goes to bed, he goes over because Willie has tennis courts, and he finds a tennis ball. Now that he eats. Yeah, that's what I call Jace. He has the, that dog. Yeah, he has some deep issues. No, he wants to go get something, Phil. Yeah, well, and he, he, he wants, doesn't know what he, he wants is. to go get it. Yeah, yeah, I have problems with him. <laughs> but anyway, he so my cousin brings over this dog. He said, "I'd like to give you he a eats. dog, uh, Uncle Phil." I said, "Well." I said, will the dog retrieve? He said, the dog will retrieve. I've taken him duck hunting, but he hasn't been uh, thoroughly trained like with a whistle. The whistle training, ladies and gentlemen, is when your dog retrieves or or a duck falls, boom, and a duck falls over there at 70 yards in the brush. And your dog did not see that, just happened to miss that duck, didn't see him in the air. Now, dogs are pretty smart. They're watching these ducks when they're flying around, and they're waiting on us, boom, boom, boom. When we shoot one of them, the dog sees them fall. He goes out there. In Blue's case, if you shot four, boom, 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 four fall. Well, Blue counted them. He, he, he looked out there, and he went, okay, I got four on the water here. Because he would go out there and pick up one to come back. I wouldn't have to tell him to go back. He'd hand me one and go back again. He knew there was some more out there. He'd yeah. go get the next one, and the next one, and oh, the he's next hunting. one. He's watching. He's watching. Yeah. But but this dog had not been trained because if you shoot a duck and the dog didn't didn't know where the duck was, the dog's sitting there waiting on your command. Well, I say I'd call his name Blue, and he he hits the water. He'd swim about ten yards. He he doesn't know what he's going, but I've sent him, so he's thinking there's a duck out here somewhere. I wonder where he is. Well, you blow a whistle, and he turns around. He's trained to turn around. And look at you, and you're fixing to give him some instructions. So I, he turns around, looks at me, and I say, I point my hand in the direction. I say, I wave to the right, right. I said, Blue, and he, I, I blow my whistle. He look at me. I'd send with my hand. He hand signals. Well, he saw its way of pointing, and he take off. Well, he get out there about sixty yards, and he's veering off a little bit. He's veering off. I blow my whistle again, and I'll take my other arm and I'll say, no, here and over, over. Well, when he hear over, he said, okay, I'm going too far. And you can just coach him and he'll go right on out there. He'll pick up the duck smell when he gets close enough, depending on the wind. And he'll go out there in the thicket and he comes back with your duck. Well, if you do that for years, 30 days, 40 days, 60 days every year, you're, you're, he's constantly doing that. All right, they get better. better. He, learns, he learns fast. He said, I know some ducks are down. I wonder where they are, but I got to obey my master because when he says over, mm-hmm. that's where that duck is. He'll lead me right to him, and he begins to trust you. 
So, but ultimately, his problem was character and manners. the The price was too high. But I'm I, what I'm trying to tell you is he just wouldn't do it on your stuff. But what you didn't know is he would jump over in our wheeler, and nothing ever changed in the course of his life. He he looked for people and things to show bad manners. No, and. He looked for people he knew who didn't like him. That'd be you and Stone and Cy. Yeah. Well, y'all spoke ill of my dog. He heard that. And every time he got a chance, he said, here's what I think about them. Maybe. He'd pee on their, Maybe. Pee on their bag. He didn't pee on my bag, Al. He'd pee on Jason's well, bag. He's saying, well, yeah. you disrespected me, and here's what I think about that. You know what, I gotta, so you, you know what I gotta say? He, I hear he's pulling a sled in Colorado. <laughs> so you outlaw Josie Wells. So his then. replacement, I, his name, by the way, and he said, "Just think of my, my cousin." Said, "Just think of uh, uh, Drew Brees. His name is Drew." So now instead of Blue, we got Drew. How so, ironic! Kind of rhymes. And my point is, either well, one of them would come if you said either name. I checked what? him out this morning. Yeah. I walked up to him, Al, and uh, <laughs> he's in the pen, and I said, "Drew, first night." with me my man how's how's it going and he wagged his tail and i put my hand through the wire there and i, I just gave him a little 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 boost this morning i said good to have you well i look forward to working with you and i was basically <laughs> telling my dog how it's going to be you know what i noticed when i phil said here's the new dog and he he got out and there was a pile of poop three feet from him i said hmm Say, like you expect the dog to spend overnight in a pen and not take a dump? <laughs> My dog waits till I let him out, and he goes yeah. somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. So I took that as uh, <laughs> leave him in there <laughs> long enough, I, Jason. He'll take the dump. Possible sign I have a of feeling, trouble. <laughs> I have a feeling the dog wars have just resurrected. Speaking of the resurrection, um, I had a comment. So labs, you y'all may not know this, are used frequently. And by counselors, I have at least three counselor friends I know. They have a lab. The lab is in the room. They're counseling some person that's distraught. Maybe it's a marriage situation, whatever. And a lab, primarily, I guess there's probably other dogs too, has a sense about what's going on, the tension in the room. And so the lab, people have told me this, will come over and just kind of nudge their head next to this person who's like, telling what's going on in their life, whatever. Maybe they're crying. Maybe they're upset. And it's just by nature, they want to calm the situation, and it works. Uh, these counselors tell me that it's amazing how much more relaxed people are when that dog is in the room with them. So we talk about it just from a hunting sense, but, you know, the Almighty put something else in. You were saying earlier, Jay, about man's best friend. Dogs are unique in all the animal world and how they relate to human beings. Yep. And so it really is interesting that that, that they, he has that in him too, or she, this uh, this lab. So it's more that's than even of, just getting ducks. That's one of the reasons that, I, I have faith in God. I just look at the animal world and dogs, especially. And I'm thinking, you know, I said that that they're pretty unique animals. I love working with them. You know, I'm you know if you get one like Blue whine too much, you know, it just it get on your nerves. You know, you're trying to. You know, you got ducks working, and right. he's, <laughs> so he's whining. But he, this one here, he he's, he's a not bit. a whiner, so that's a good thing. That's right. Let's take a break. 
So I hadn't had to borrow any money in a while, uh, Dad, so I wasn't sure exactly um, what you need. And one of the things I realized, you got to have a good credit score. Uh, we talk about one of our sponsors, Scoremaster, quite often on the podcast, and it really can be the difference uh, in getting a good deal, especially getting a low interest rate. I found that out. Lisa and I have used it. It helped us uh, to get the southern layer, uh, which is where I'm coming from today. So, uh, you know, you, basically they can help you get 61 points in 20 days or less. But also we found out you can get up to 33 points in just a few days, which is a game changer, and it was for us. So you want to check these guys out if you're going to borrow some money for, you know, a house, boat, you know, whatever, ATV. Uh, check them out. Uh, scoremaster.com is where you find these guys, slash Phil. Scoremaster.com slash fill it's simple it's easy it takes about one minute to enroll you can find out where your points are start bumping it up save you some money and one the other question i have before we leave the dog topic is uh so you mentioned eating the tennis balls how does that affect the digestive tract because i'm thinking he, tennis he, balls he eats would the not tennis be good ball. he throws it up and then he starts barking for me to come let him out of the pen. And so I'll come out there, and he's he's like the the Bible passage that says as a dog returns to his vomit, because then he'll be, he just reprocesses. But he's wanting to get out because oh it was a traumatic, you know, a tennis ball. But they come up every morning. Missy's like, why do you keep letting him have the tennis ball? I'm like, this, he... This is what he does. I mean, if he's going to be dumb enough to do it and he calls that fun, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, I would drop the axe on that. No more tennis balls. Yeah. <laughs> What's what, amazing you say to that? me That's is how he problems. finds one every day. Because sometimes he'll be gone for 15, 20 minutes. Are there a lot of tennis players around your subdivision? Willie has a tennis court. <laughs> and oh, they, so well, that, 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 I got news for Willie that his golf – the balls he's hitting out in the yard and the tennis ball. My dog has <laughs> gotten hundreds, hundreds. <laughs> well, so I he saw probably keeps wondering, what do I have to Jace took him a few times. He's a lot better on tennis balls than he were retrieving ducks, that's for sure. I, I thought he did <laughs> pretty good. I was happy. Well, we'll see. Now we got Drew in, enter the mix so oh, next Drew. year during duck season. Yeah. We'll have to find out how Drew does versus Bigham. So I thought today we would talk a, a little bit about um, kind of jump ahead and Acts to Acts 17. This is uh, this podcast is releasing on Easter Sunday, which, you know, we talked about the last podcast, how really the whole week is such a special remembrance every year. Uh, and, and the timing that it is during the spring means a lot. And we talked a lot about the cross last time, but the resurrection really is the centerpiece even of the gospel. I mean, literally, like Jace mentioned, the symbols that we use. I mean, right there in the center, we draw a little tomb, you know, from from that era when they buried people in the mountains. And it really is sort of everything hinges on that, which is what Paul even said. Every element of the story of Jesus and what he did and him coming here, all of it is important and is the gospel. But, the, I mean, wouldn't you say the resurrection is the core of everything. I mean, everything we believe. It's, well, it's the centerpiece of the Bible. Uh, 
I Googled because I was curious. Life after death, or another phrase I put was life after death without Jesus. Because I just wanted to see, get the pulse on the world. And surprisingly, there was nothing. I mean, most times when you do a Google search, you're going to have hundreds of ideas, topics, the hottest items. I was surprised at the lack of ideas. I mean, there were a few things from years ago about reincarnation and some energy concepts of being absorbed into the grand energy core of life. But there just, there wasn't anything recent. And I mean, in the last 10 years, other than people who believed in Jesus. I found that fascinating. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, do, do, is that shocking to you? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Usually there's always a bunch of stuff that people are going to muse about, you know? Wasn't out there. Most of the stuff hmm. were things related to what they would have in quotations was near-death experiences and seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And I read a few documents about doctors saying, <clears throat> here's what, you know, actually, you know, they were challenging more the idea of that phrase, near death. Cause, and when you think about it, what does that really mean? I mean, if, if you were in the sky in a plane, and another plane came within one inch of you, but didn't hit you. Is that a near-death experience? Uh, probably so. Well, what if it came a mile? Yeah. <clears throat> the chance is always there. I mean, the more I read this, I thought every day's a near-death experience if we start applying this. <laughs> you ain't lying. And That's then true. you had the other side of it, which was near-death in that, you know, we people say, well, I was dead. And I came back to life because, you know, their heart stopped beating. And then they use these, I don't even know what they call them. They rub it together and paddles and got you, you well, know, kick-started you. And the, so the doctor said, well, you really wasn't dead. Yeah. Well, it's pretty interesting that when the Apostle Paul reminded the church at Corinth of the gospel that he had preached to them, he said, what I received, I passed on to you. And this is the only place in the Bible with wordage like this, I passed on to you what I received, I passed on to you. So the Corinthians are sitting there listening. As of first importance, when you say, when you say to, uh, you take the whole Bible and you say, and you have one of the apostles saying what I am telling you right now, you better receive it, believe it, and stand on it and remember, it's of first importance, or you've believed in vain. Then he said that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's, that's uh, all humans have two things in common. Uh, they're all sinful, and all they are all, Jace, going to die physically. That's facts. Well, the first important, the most important thing in the Bible says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, over and over and over, that he was buried, 
and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Everything else is really not as important, according to the Apostle Paul, as the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He said, on down below that, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace to me was not without effect. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God. So whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach. Jesus died, was buried, and raised from the... And this is what you believe. Now check this out. But if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Well, now we're in Jace's camp when he tried to look on Facebook and bring up the topic. And Jace is telling us now, I've never turned on the internet or the, the computer. But Jace just said, if you do turn it on, there's very little said about the most important thing in the Bible. You would think well, more he, people would be saying, you're saying there's a shot at, at what? No, my point is you that, being raised from the dead. And they're like, you're talking to me. I said, I'm talking to you. There is a chance to be raised from the dead. Yeah, but I'm saying, no, there was a lot about people who believe in Jesus saying you can be raised from the dead. I was looking for something other than Jesus being raised from the dead as your answer for life after death. And what I was saying is I didn't see anything, which was surprising. I figured there would be some If somebody theory. come along, some pharmaceutical company, and they said, We've, it's a breakthrough. We've had a breakthrough. We have now, we have figured out that with one peel, you have one peel, and the thing's $10,000, but we have now have it, and it's giving, giving us all great results that you can live beyond physical death if you take this one peel. It's ten grand, but guaranteed you'll come out of the ground. What Would you think it would sell out? <laughs> I think they'd get more than ten grand for that. Let's let's take a quick break. So to your point, Jace, in Acts seventeen, which is I believe that the passage dad read was First Corinthians fifteen one through four, which First Corinthians fifteen is probably the greatest um, chapter, if you want to call it, section in the whole Bible about the resurrection. Um, that that Paul does that. But, you know, what's interesting is I think the reason why in the setting you're describing, Jace, in our current world is exactly what Paul experienced when he went to Athens. Because in verse 16, this section about Athens starts, when Paul was waiting for the brothers to show up in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And you got to, you know, think about Paul, he was, in my mind, he was sort of like a converted atheist. He was an atheist. He believed in Yahweh. He was a Jew, but he didn't believe in Jesus. I mean, you don't go round people up and kill them because they're following Jesus if you believed in him. And so when he saw him on that road, when he got struck down, I mean, obviously it changed everything because then he knew he really was resurrected. And so that's why I think the resurrection is so important. But the setting that Jace described in our current culture, to me, sounds so much like what you see here in Acts 17. I mean, I don't know about y'all, but 
I look around and I'm distressed, you know, when I see yeah, our culture. Look, I had this conversation. The last time I had to go do all this stuff for the life insurance, you know, you got to go take a physical and they, you know, if you're in perfect health, they're like, yeah, you qualify for <laughs> anything wrong with you. So, but I said, you know, he, the, the guy was like, well, I just want to make sure you have life insurance. I was like, well, let me just explain something to you. Life insurance. Of course, I didn't know what this guy thought, but I'm just going to explain this. I said, my life insurance is in Jesus. That's, that's the <laughs> life insurance. Because what you're saying, this should be named death insurance. Because this of happens course. when I die. Of course. And you're calling it life insurance, but I'm dead. The money doesn't come your way. You know, I'm dead. I'm laying in a hole somewhere. I was like, you should change that name. Somebody else is going, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's gone. He's gone. And so but the, the money the money's really not the issue, but but they do find out. What the policy says when you die, the money's coming. Where? How much do I get out of you? But here's what I found fascinating: he had no explanation. He was looking because I thought he's never thought about it. Somebody just named it. He didn't know that free health care was available. Yeah, but it's a good way to share Jesus. But I just thought, you know, if I was selling something, I would at least try for it to make sense. You're selling me life insurance that's only good that when I'm dead. Can we not name it death insurance? Oh, well, that <laughs> sounds horrible, you know, because they wouldn't do it because marketing. <laughs> they were in a meeting and said, Bob, let's call it life insurance. So then the person will somehow think that when he dies, this is a positive. Miss K might have got me a little life insurance, but I, I would have never do it. I wouldn't do it at all. I think you have life insurance, but. Yeah, what? But not not with my endorsement, that's for sure. No. Well, but, but I'm telling you is it you have death insurance. Yeah. It's life for other people who remain on the planet. And my whole point is there's that's the way our world is. They don't right. necessarily have to know it or explain it. Just give me your money and, yeah. and you know, take care of these people over here. And but this is how this guy's feeding his family, you know. So I I, I get it, but the we're 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 long on, you know, talking about it, discussing it, but we're very short on the practicality of it all. I mean, I did see but, some know, Jace, some searches about it, space, and because now that's a big thing in our world. Everybody's going yeah. to space. We're going to. I mean, Star Trek yeah. is back, and yeah. they're like, we're gonna <laughs> find the answers to life and they're trying to make these robotic machines al where there'll be immortality through the machine you see what i'm right. saying that somehow maybe you could plant your consciousness in one of these ai's yeah. and keep going that's where they think they're going but it's, it is interesting in our culture jace is right it's a great point because the mindset is in in i'm saying this pretty unique to western culture that somehow you can attach a monetary value to life uh, or, or, or limb, you know, I mean, yeah. you have somebody, they lose their arm, you know, in an accident. And then they say, well, here, we're going to give you X amount of dollar or they sue for X amount of dollars. And say, okay. Here's what your arm was worth. Yeah. And it's the same, I think with life insurance or death insurance, which I like better. In other words, well, what, you know, you hit a million dollar policy. It's like, wow, man, what a life. And, yeah. you know, left a million dollars to somebody. But but really, if, is that all it's about? Because you go to Africa, they never heard of life insurance. 
They don't even know that concept. <laughs> yeah. They probably say, what? <laughs> Is this going to ensure that I stay alive? That would that'd be my first response. If I had never heard of it, they'd say, we're going to give you life insurance. I'm like, oh, you're going to ensure that my life is going to be great. No, this happens when you die. Um, well, I'm out on that. No, oh, no. <laughs> so it's their life insurance. I mean, I guess they would. They he should have made that argument. At least that would make more sense. I'm not going to do anything to insure my life. I'm dead. <laughs> but anything, you don't make money off of that. Anything concept. somebody tries to sell godly principles and make money without letting it affect their heart and life i i always notice i i just i notice that stuff because yeah. it doesn't make sense no, that's to me. pretty good i like i like that let's uh let's take another break so what happens when he, so what happens so he's there he's distressed he's like we are you look at the culture and you say man how can they not understand what this is and then in verse 17 he reasoned in the synagogue with the jews and the god-fearing greeks as well as in the marketplace so I did think it was interesting that in this distress of feeling this wickedness and idolatry and everything in this Greek culture, he he went into action. He took that as a as a saying, well, we got to get in here and I, I need to start talking about, you know, who God is. And he started with his familiar, you know, f- former fellow Jews and people that at least recognize who God was. So I did think that was interesting. But then he went even further by totally going out into public. And then he runs into these philosophers. Of course, they say, what is this babbler talking about? But it was re- really interesting to me because when you get down um, to verse um, verse 18, he says that he was talking about, he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So you notice Paul never gets very far, even though he was a brilliant man, from the core of what changed him. And I, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of for all of us today, that's the way we need to live life. That's what we need to talk about. Remember, in, in like Jesus. One way of looking at this is I don't know when Aristotle, I, I looked it up one time and Plato, these great thinkers were with these people, their, their ancestors, probably yep. 150 BC to about 300 BC. So these great scholars, Al, uh, none of them had any idea. They had some some little Aristotle, you know, he, he, you know, he thought maybe there might be something after death or whatever. But there was no Jesus. There was no death of Jesus, his burial and resurrection. Well, all this information kicking around these latest ideas, that's all they had. They had no knowledge of what the Apostle Paul is saying in Acts 17. They hadn't heard that. They had heard what Plato said, Aristotle said, and this, that, and the other, and they had added a little bit to it. But I, I often uh, I wonder if they could have teleported the Apostle Paul into the Greek Empire 300 years before Jesus showed up. He could have at least mm-hmm. told them, look, there's a day coming when there will literally be a resurrection of the dead. These philosophers would have gone nuts. Well, that's exactly what they did when when finally Jesus appears. Now it's the Roman Empire, but them big structures and all this stuff on Mars Hill, it was all there intact. 
Oh, yeah. But they had never heard anything like what the Apostle Paul said. No. Y'all think it's about gold and silver and all these monuments to this God and that God and this God. He said, ignorance, ignorance on all of you's behalf. Well, you just think about it, a chastising. And then he says, look, he set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he's appointed. He's given proof of it to all men by raising him from the dead. They never heard that, Al, not once. No. Not with Aristotle, not Plato, Socrates, none of them. Well, because it's, it's defying the metaphysical argument of life, which is some of the things I did read, they were like, well, it's impossible. But I, I did notice that those arguments, the reason they were having a hard time with it is because they had the resurrection being about your soul leaving your body when you die, which to me would be separation, not necessarily resurrection. And I don't think the the religious people have done them any favors because a lot of people, that's what they believe. They're like the resurrection is that when you die, your soul leaves your body, period. And y'all y'all have heard this. My point is that oh, yeah. when you read 1 Corinthians 15, yes, I believe that happens, but the resurrection is that your body actually comes back with your soul that left your dead body and you live again, which is what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the hard thing to wrap your head around. And that was the arguments that I read even today. They were like, we don't have a better idea, but we don't believe that can happen. So they're like the atoms and the molecules do not exist within a soul. So they, they were all attacking the scientists were attacking that idea. They never got to, oh, yeah, wait right here, because not only do we believe your soul leaves your body, we believe that body is coming back. The atoms and the molecules that literally rot are reignited. It was knitted together at one time. We're just saying that can happen again. But they would say, well, but you did that. Because the humanistic mind. But they didn't do that. But that's what they're going to say. Well. They're going to say, you know, through conception, you know, a man and a woman get together. And that's the well, humanist side. It's always going to come to back to the Just to show the audience, human. I think I've mentioned this before at some point on one of these things. But just so the audience will understand something. I went to Athens, Greece. And I went to Mars Hill. And I stood where the Apostle Paul stood when he gave this little dissertation in Acts chapter 17. We went to the very same spot 2,000 years later. I memorized this entire section, got up on that hill. They turned the cameras on, and I presented Paul's argument 2,000 years later. Now, the hill, you were there, Al. The hill, yep. there were people from all over the world. And you right. were there to see their response when they heard what, I, when I quoted what the Apostle Paul said. I mean, many of them wept. Did you notice that? Yep. Oh, yeah. And uh, for people that don't know, so this is just this big rock where this meeting of the Oropagus is taking place. Here we read about, and that's where Dad was. And you're kind of in the shadow of the Acropolis, which is above yep. you which is yep. the great temple that had all the gods, gods in quote in yep. it. 
you know, yep. these statues and all that. So when so you imagine Paul and and Dad did it. He's given this speech, and he's pointing up at the top of that Acropolis, and he's like, "This isn't this isn't the answer." You know, he's giving them what the true thing is. And so when Dad, when you finished, people didn't know what we were doing because we didn't have like a the the filming of it was just a couple of guys with cameras, but there were a lot of cameras up there. So they just you just got up and started doing it, and people were just enthralled. I mean, people got quiet. They were looking. They were like, "Who is this guy?" A few oh, people recognized. Definitely calm. And you did the whole thing, and then they just some were crying, and then they all applauded, and we did it twice, you know, for safety. And it was really interesting because they were they physically and and spiritually, emotionally reacted. They sure to did. that speech. Yeah, I was surprised. Which was really intriguing. Yep. We all were in, yep. in the moment of which is pretty which is pretty powerful. There's something about going to these places that we read in the Bible and. You know, we believe this, but, you know, when I've, I've shared this before, but when I was in Israel and we visited that that tomb where they said Jesus was in a tomb about like this, and we were in the general area where he was crucified, and they make it dramatic because they know that most people that are going to visit this are believers. So they, they, they let you go one at a time. So it's like you make this walk, and everybody's in line, and it's – through a little grove of olive trees and you step down and it's rocky. And then there's a little bitty hole that you enter. And then they have, it's, it's a concrete dungeon with two little rooms and that's, that's the tomb. And so I'm looking thinking, wow, this is, this is bringing burial to a whole new, whole new level. You're in a cave. But when I stuck my head out, it's like, all the stars aligned. Every worship song I've ever heard hit me at one time. I, because I envisioned Jesus dying, being in this tomb three days, his body, and then when I stuck my head out, I'm telling you, it was like, this is what I believe. It, it, it was a top five moment in my life because I was in Israel. I. But it wasn't anything I didn't already believe, but there was just something about seeing it done in history, you know, that I'm at the place. I've read about it. I'm now visualizing it even more. And I'm boy, I tell you, mm. I was, it was a spring in my step. Let's take a, let's take one last break. Yeah, and that's exactly the way Dad and I felt. I mean, like being there. And, you know, of course, obviously it was totally different because you look up at the Acropolis and it looked just like it did 2000 years ago. But you look to the left and it's millions of people and these just stacked on top of one another, which which none of that was there. So, you know, it was it was amazing because it was a place that had totally changed. And yet this one little piece of it was just like it was 2000 years ago. Yep. And, And we even we even commented on that. Dad, remember, we said, look at all these people. That are right here next to where this went down, and I wonder how many of them even know it, believe it, have ever read it, have ever understood the resurrection at all. They came. Probably not many. They came to Mars Hill to see it, and they came to where all these false gods were, and the remains of them still being there. People came there. Why? Why did so many of them come there, Al? <laughs> Did you I mean, that yeah, out? they're drawn to it, the history of it, but 
I guarantee you, most of them had no idea what you were quoting and where that came from. They just thought that old guy, that old bearded guy, he, he's well, he's giving, he's laying something down. But you know, most of them had never heard that before. No, they hadn't heard. It. Well, and I think there's the the world who that don't believe they they've already decided a lot about you know what they see in christianity that's not good they alienate the idea of it and just think because basically look if you believe in this you you believe in a being that holds the atomic and molecular structure of things in his hands because right. what's what's the big deal about believing that he can resurrect you bodily if you already believe he created you from dust or is healing people and you know I mean the list we have donkeys talking you know we talking about dogs well you know my dog all of a sudden said hey Jace you know knock it off <laughs> well, I, well, well people <laughs> say well that's not possible well. I don't know where that story is in the Old Testament, but you know, a donkey turned around and and said something in, in a language that he hadn't studied. <laughs> and so, <laughs> it's what I—it's not that big a stretch, but I think when you read what Jesus said in John five, I mean, this was early on, way before he dies and is buried and resurrected. He said, "Don't be amazed at this." You know, this came because he healed a guy who had been paralyzed for 38 years which was incredible then he goes on to say don't be amazed a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out those who have done good will rise to live and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned i mean i don't know what they thought when they heard that like does he mean their soul or because it's just hard to grasp that even in the in light of a miracle. And we know that when he died, they all abandoned him. It wasn't like, oh, remember that time he said there's going to be a resurrection? And, uh, but they had to see him rise from the dead to really get it. So it is tough for us 2,000 years later because he's not going to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, remember me? Or, you know, or have somebody... Because it is based on faith, and and so I realize it's tough. But in light of a, a simple Google search, if you're just out there waking up every day thinking this is it, well, no wonder we got so much chaos <laughs> going on, and we got to double the mask, and you know, you get the coronavirus and you die. Guess uh, what? Yeah. Well. That's it. They're scared to death. So Hal, it is interesting. The God that hit with the Apostle Paul, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth over and does not live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. He himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation. There's Adam. So all this thing about race and all that, the Apostle Paul said, no, we all come from the same man, that they should inhabit the whole earth. They did. He determines the time set for them. He does. These empires rise, and then they fall, and then they rise, and then they fall. He, he decided the exact places where they should live. 
He did it so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. I've always wondered about this, Jace. You can elaborate, or you too, Al. For in him, in God, we live and we move and we have our being. It's some of your own offspring, your poets have said, we are his offspring. And then he goes, therefore, since we're God's offspring, get off the gold, the silver, the big, big monuments and all that. That means doodly squat. We're talking about you can be raised from the dead. So what does he mean there when he says in God, we live and move and have our being? Exactly. Well, what's interesting is these the two groups, the Epicureans and the Stoics, the, the Stoics believed that God was every there was everywhere. There was atoms and, and physical laws of the universe. So they had a connection. I, I think he was speaking specifically to them. The problem is they didn't know this unknown God. They didn't understand what it was. they made the wrong application. They thought they could create their gods, these you know, with with gold and stone and all this stuff. And what he's saying is, look, your mindset about there being a being that's big enough that he's everywhere, including in us and us in him, because we're made in his image. That's a good idea. But you just missed the boat because you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand how to apply it. So I, yeah. I do think in the context of the two groups, the other groups, the Epicureans, their deal was just pleasure. They didn't want any pain, and they just wanted to have fun. That was their whole life was about happy and emotion. Any of that and going so, on in America these days, Al? <laughs> well, yeah, just a little bit, I think. Yeah, no matter how much time changes and, and goes by, it always gets down to the same thing. Younger, younger people, which I think those two groups, if you look up, they attracted the younger crowd, which is just have fun, don't go crazy. Yep. But, and then the older group is there's a, you have to be civilized and, and think of the greater philosophies to find true achievement. And, you know, it's all about mem creating memories, which we, that, that's what the world, their biggest thing that drives them in the context of resurrection. I mean, I was watching the NCAA uh, basketball last night and, you know, the both teams that won, said the same things after the game. We'll go down forever as final four. You know, they were used, they were throwing that term forever. It, it's their way to be resurrected with creating a memory. And look, I'm all for making great memories, but if there was actually a way to achieve literal eternity forever, memories that are generated. I mean, if you could keep living, why not just at least consider it? It, look into it. Don't quickly dismiss it as all of, you know, when you don't have any other idea, I mean, to me, but to answer your question about what does it mean to in him, we move and live and have our being, you know, when I read Colossians one 15, cause it's hard for the human mind to relate to these concepts because we are just trapped inside the body and look, you can be talking about the resurrection and, and, or, be on cloud nine about some spiritual revelation in church and then immediately go out and be just as earthly and temporary as the guy who doesn't even believe. I mean, it happens every day. But when you read Colossians 1, 
uh, 15, when he talked about Jesus is the image of the invisible God, by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether these thrones, powers, rulers, authority, all things were created by him and for him. When you digest that, it then is not too big a stretch for the next verse to say he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So you take God out of the earth, which is, you know, what are they going to do with all this space travel? They're looking for meaning. They're looking for a way to extend when what they don't realize is find me a planet that has water first because we're the only planet that has that and, and life. And then we'll talk, <laughs> but we're so far away by the time you get there, guess what? You'll be dead. <laughs> <laughs> and so then that More Colossians generation. one, he gets to the church, which is us. And the whole reason he created us and we have the life and the reminders. And you see all these things during springtime and this time of year is he did that to plan in your mind, I'm life. I am life. Yeah. I don't decide to live. I'm not going to give you life. I just am life. Yeah. You you get with me and you live. It's hard to get around it, Al. Yeah, it is. Well, we got to run. We're over time. But we'll, uh, we'll kind of finish this thought up on the next podcast and talk a little bit about the application of what a resurrected life looks like in terms of how we live. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.